Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we continue the saga of Paul and his trial. Paul's troubles never seem to end. Goes from one governor to the next governor and then to one king and finally to Caesar himself. But today we read about Paul before Agrippa, King Agrippa. Let's look at Acts chapter 25, verse 23 to 27, and let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Help us to see that regardless of all the things that happen to us, we are your beloved children, your heroes, your treasures. Help us to know this truth, not only in our minds, but in our hearts. As we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Acts chapter 25, verse 23 to 27. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King Agrippa was most likely King Agrippa Herod. And he was a counterpart of uh, the governor Festus. He ruled another region, um, under all under Caesar, a neighbouring region. And Bernice was not his wife, Bernice was his sister who had divorced her husband and gone off with Festus. There's no hint of any, any th- anything that was wrong with that. She was just Festus's sister. Eventually, she married someone else. But here they were visiting Festus, probably to welcome him as the new governor. And Festus, therefore, wanted some help from Agrippa. But when we think of it, the first sentence that comes to mind is, they came with great pomp. It was a grand occasion, almost like a spectator spot. King Agrippa came, entered with many high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. It was a very big deal. Put yourself in the place of one of these prominent men in the city to be invited for an occasion like this, how grand it must be to be in the in-group, the elite, with all the pomp, while all the common people looked on, and these and us marching in, grand, the top of the line, the top of the, civil, of the, the city. And there, Paul was brought in as a, as a prisoner to be tried, We don't know whether the people knew about this trial. Probably they did because there was an uproar among the Jews and it was public knowledge that that the Jews were after Paul's blood. 
And it was probably uh, common knowledge that Paul had been tried by Festus, and therefore he was being brought in to King Agrippa and Bernice. So much pomp, who was the high rank, the who's who. I wonder whether you've read the Tatler every, every issue as you look through and wonder who's who in Singapore and who's who in the world, all the big shots. I wonder what life is like for them, what it means to be in the in-group, what it feels like always to be not part of the in-group. Maybe it doesn't bother you at all, but let me ask you later whether it does or not. But in all of this, first King Agrippa, the Grand King who comes in with all the pomp, and then his officials and the city, and the high-ranking people of the city, and then Festus, who comes in to impress King Agrippa as well as to impress everyone else. Because actually Agrippa already knew the story. But Festus was repeating this story probably for the benefit of all the other big shots around them. With much pomp, he related what was happening. But as we listen to his story, read his story, and then compare it with what really transpired, we discover, we begin to feel some contempt for Festus. We begin to feel that this was a coward trying to save his skin. He had sent Paul to Herod. And as he said to Agrippa, I can't send a, send a prisoner to see the, the king of kings, the Caesar, without even a charge. Basically, I'm going to look real stupid. And it was all Festus's fault. I mean, Festus was a coward. He could have set Paul free, could have easily have acquitted Paul and nothing would have happened. Instead, he wanted to please the Jews and ask whether Paul would be willing to go to Jerusalem. At which point, of course, Paul said, no way, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, send me to Caesar. And so Festus was in deep, hot water. He couldn't get out of it. He couldn't deny Paul his trial before Caesar. But neither could he bring Paul to see Caesar without a charge. And so in a sense, he was while trying to impress everyone with his pretending to be wise and just, saying that the justice of Rome was would not allow such a thing to happen. Basically, he was sheepishly pleading with Agrippa, please help me find a way out of this mess that I created for myself. Create a charge against Paul and help me out of this mess. In all of this high politics of pomp and grandeur, a prisoner, Paul in chains, probably his clothes in tatters, even though he was Roman, it doesn't mean that he was then treated royally. Sure, he wasn't beaten or punished, but he was still a prisoner. And here he came with chains and clothes in tatters. The object subject of ridicule, of a trial that was unfair, that was staged, with, as Festus put it, the whole of Caesarea, all the Jews in Caesarea and Jerusalem, and all the surrounding regions, crying out that he deserved to die. A small fry, humiliated, helpless against the powers that be. But as we look at it, we realize that this Paul was a beloved child of God. He was a hero in God's eyes. He was God's treasure. He was precious 
in God's sight. A lowly, broken prisoner in chains, humiliated, shown contempt, mocked, and yet the precious child and treasure of God. And in God's eyes, a far greater hero than all the theatrical people on stage, a far greater hero than Agrippa or Festus the coward. Paul was God's hero. We think then about our lives, the times when we feel that we are not among the elite, not among the high and the mighty, the great and the strong and the powerful and the rich and the famous and the well-recognized. Sometimes we feel that in the, in the company that we work in, when we watch the CEOs and the CFOs and the entire C-suites walk by and we are nothing near there. We are not even middle management. We are just one small fry in a large organization. And sometimes we are even treated as pawns, disposable, just a worker, nowhere near decision-making. The decision-makers make policies, rule our lives, decide on our futures, and we are just a small pawn. And yet, never forget this, that you are a precious child of God, and that you are God's hero wherever He has put you. It's not about which position you are in. It's about God placing you as an assignment. Paul was at one time a great hero. At another time, he was the head of the church, in a sense. Though he wasn't officially the head, everyone looked up to him. And yet at this point, he was at his lowest, where he was a prisoner in chains surrounded by great and powerful people who held his life in their hands, could laugh at him, could mock him, could try him, eventually would kill him. But in his eyes, he was God's hero placed where God would want him to be. Can you think of yourself that way too? That in the midst of your helplessness, sometimes in the where you are, that you are God's precious child and placed exactly strategically where God would want you to be. That where you are, you will shine for God, you will live for God. And most of all, God protects you. But we think also of our church. I've often heard people say we are just a small church, we are a poor church, we are even an overlooked church, some would say. We are a church where we don't get good things because we don't have many things to return. And so sometimes unconsciously or consciously or semi-consciously, we, we look down on ourselves and we don't feel that we are important in the kingdom of God, in the entire realm of God's work. And we don't take it seriously then. We look at the other big churches, the, the mega churches, the larger churches, we think those can do the work. But who are we and what are we? Well, let me just say this. We are a church precious in God's sight, strategically placed where we will do the work that God has sent us. 
and that we will live as God's heroes as well. We need first to believe this, to believe that we are special to God and special in God's plans for, for Singapore, for the world. And as we believe this, we live as such also, that we are God's anointed people and sent forth to do God's bidding. As this conviction begins to sink into us individually, as well as as a church, we seek God's play, will and plans, and we know that we are special in God's sight. Paul could have been in any place, and in any place he saw that God was using him. I remember speaking to a guy, he was, um, he was a vice president of a multinational and he was a very fervent Christian. And one day I asked him whether he felt threatened uh, by the competition below and how vicious the competition below him was. And he said, it's very vicious. Everyone below me is vying to, to get at me, to pull me down so they can go up. And whoever was above me then before I became number two, whoever was up there was threatened by me, afraid that I would take their place. Over there, it's very vicious. And I asked him then, so how does it feel? How do you feel? And he said, I feel very much at peace because I know that every assignment that I'm sent to is from God and for God. If I'm dragged down now and lose my position as vice president and maybe get demoted or someone else gets above me, that's fine too because I know that it is only God who could have made that happen. And if it is God who makes that happen, then I am in the best place that I can ever be and I will be contented. I was in awe of this man, a man of such faith, knowing that he had not, it was not he who had clawed his way to the top, but rather that it was God who had assigned him to where he was, and in his heart that God was free to assign him anywhere else, and it would be good for him, it would be the best place for him. I wonder if each of us could adopt this truth in our hearts as well, to know that God doesn't make mistakes with us, nor does God look down on us. But wherever God places us, it is the best place for us to be at that moment. Shall we pray? Father, we are precious in your sight. Not pawns, not disposables, not dispensable to you. That each of us is precious in your eyes not just as a tool, nor a servant, nor a slave, but your beloved child. Help us to know this, Lord. Help us to truly grasp this truth, that we are your treasured apple of your eye. And then, Lord, allow us to see too that you, the great strategist, places us in various positions, sometimes at the top and sometimes at the bottom, it doesn't matter that when we are in, among the elite, it's, it makes no difference. And when we are off the elite, it makes no difference either. 
when we have given the opportunity to make big decisions or when we have no decisions to make but rather have decisions made for us and that doesn't matter either because it is you who places us where we are and we are at the best place that we could ever be. Help us, Lord, to believe this and to live this out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks and I'll see you again um, this Sunday. Um, well, the podcast will continue for Thursday and Friday. And God bless you. Goodbye.